Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. Join your hosts, Mark Zylinski, Jeremy Duval, and Rob Fanouf as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. What's going on? Welcome to Countercharge. I am Dylan Murray, and I'm here with Rob Fanouf. Yes, thanks for the warm introduction, Dylan. First time on the show for Dylan, so let's give the Countercharge audience a little bit of who is Dylan Murray. So I'm out of Arkansas. I've been playing uh, war games since late 2015. Didn't get into the competitive scene until late 2016. Been having a blast ever since. I try to. I, I've, I really fell in love with the tournament scene, and I, I uh, despite the uh, severe strain on my pocketbook i try to do an event every single month and i've been uh, been fairly consistent at that this uh this current year uh but that's about the extent of uh what i've been up to and obviously we've talked lots of times i know you've played like other games like you dabbled in warm horrors or 40k yeah but what is it about kings of war that brings you to to the game it's it's the fantasy element there's there's not another game out there really that i've found that uh that that has the same feeling there there's games that have the same aesthetic uh similar themes but the the fantasy elements mixed uh, with that just that raw rank and flank it just uh it just does it for me well i can agree with you 100 percent. i know right what you're saying uh something about you know the high fantasy setting with the ranks and flanks and the big armies on the table plus that really clean rule set that we've got that you know makes for a really fun game Oh, it's a it's a fantastic game, and it's it's really hard to get these rules mixed up. You know, you're you're never trying to oh this rule was on this page in the last book, but now this book it's here, and there's none of that really with Kings of War. Well, tonight we're going to chat about the Bug Eater GT, which we just attended. But before we get there, let's get a quick hobby update. What are you working on in the hobby? I know you've got some plans. What, what's 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 on your hobby table right now? I- I'm wanting to improve my forces of nature. Improve in terms of hobby, like in paint. You mean is that what you're referring to? Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna repaint some things. Um, rebasing. I'm gonna try to uh, follow the tutorial that uh, Billy Smith left on uh, Dash Twenty Eight. A uh, little plug there. I'm gonna try to follow that and see if I can't improve my basing techniques. And then I, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna try to update my uh, uh, my paint jobs. See if I can do a little better there as well. There's always room for improvement, no matter what, you know it, whether it's playing the game or hobby or even being a better sport. I think there's lots of opportunities for us as players to to grow. Absolutely. Well, on my front, I am working on an elf army, really just like a demo army. I had picked up a few odds and end pieces over the years. I'm going to go for a speed paint on these. So what I've decided to do is I'm going to, I've already started. I'm going to assemble all the guys. I'm going to glue them to the bases and I'm going to paint them on the bases. So I'm going to try to use the contrast paint and stuff to get real quick, impactful paint jobs. that look halfway decent. I'm also going to try something different that I haven't done before. I'm going to base the whole unit on troop size bases. And my thought process is it'll add some flexibility to the army. So like, for example, if I have a couple uh, troops of spearmen and a couple troops of archers, I can take two of each of those and make a sea guard, or I can take four troops of archers and make a, and make a horde of archers. So uh, that's what I'm kind of thinking. And I think also uh, by having them on troops, it'll make it easier for me to paint. Like, cause if I had, if I try to do a whole regiment at a time, getting to that fourth guy in the very back might be hard to reach with my brush. That's, that's what I'm going to try. We'll see if I actually yeah, am successful in that. And what I, and what I think I'm going to do is I think I'm just going to use just plain old MDF and glue to them. Uh, glue the guys to the bases and then, you know, maybe putty or something to build up the texture. So uh, we'll see how I get on. My goal is to make an 1,000 point army and I've got, you know, a small unit of Stormwind Cavalry. I've got a mage, a couple war machines, some palace guards. So I'm really taking a lot of the advice that uh, I was provided uh, in the Elf Army review, which will be coming out very shortly. <laughs> Turns out Mike Austin and Keith Randall know how to play that game very well. That's uh, been a boon for me. But and then after that, I don't know. I have a dwarf army that I'd like to like to start. I still have lots of halflings to paint. So it seems like 
Hobby's never done. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's really not. <laughs> Bug Eater GT. This is like the ninth Bug Eater GT. I think this might be the third time they've had Kings of War at the event. It's typically been a Games Workshop style event. So there'd be 40K, um, Warhammer Fantasy slash AOS. Um, and this year they had AOS, they had 40K. They had Malifaux. What else did they have? They had us, Kings of War. A bolt action. They had Vanguard. They had that on Friday night. And did we ever figure out what they were? They had a. They had some games going on upstairs. I don't know if that was. I think that was War Hordes. Yeah, War Hordes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Bug Eater's been around a long time. I think the website is gt.bugeater.com. It's a great event, and I'm looking forward to it next year. But you know, this Kings of War event was was interesting for a number of things. Uh, one, it was 1,995 points, which has become kind of a popular points level because it reduces some of the it, t- it takes the edge off if you will you know you're, you're limited to less of some of the nastier units what, what are your thoughts on 1995 i had a lot of fun with it i i personally liked the uh the bigger points values um uh, because I, I i tend to take balanced lists either way that's probably why you weren't successful at 40k right because if you're not min maxing you're not trying yeah, yeah, and maybe that's so so maybe that's my own fault that I didn't have fun with that game. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I really actually I really liked the um the 1995. I I saw I think I saw some events doing 1999, which seemed weird because it's everything's an even value and Right, I don't know how you would use those other four points. Right. I mean, you I, I don't think you literally couldn't. So it, it was just weird which but the 1995 I, I really liked it. Keeps everything kind of fluid keeps everything fresh you're not you know it's not you you don't obviously you don't get to oh this is the best unit in the game so i'm gonna take three of them and mm-hmm. all that stuff I, I really i had fun with it the uh, special rules for the event uh, which was or the main one which was a giant bug eater so it's basically a giant model you know you could base it on a 75 or a 50 and it had basically the normal unit profile for a giant you know uh speed seven melee four range five defense five plus attacks d6 plus six 17, 19, Nerve, and 205 uh, with, all the, with all the basic stuff. But it had a few special things on him that really made him very cool for the event and thematic for the event. Uh, one was there was Throw Rock, which is range 12, attacks 1, and there was a Blast D6 plus 2, which gives you Piercing 3 and Steady Aim, which I thought was cool. Basically like a walk, walking stone thrower, right? Right. Uh, and then Noxious Bug Breath, which turned out to be my favorite thing in the whole world, <laughs> which was uh, the Wind Blast 8 spell. It also caused damage. So good. It is amazing. So good. I mean, I think it may have won me, or at least kept me in, two of the games. Uh, one, I actually landed in one volley five wounds on on another giant by having those extra five wounds. And then when I finally get into combat, I'm already up five wounds, right? Awesome. 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 And then another one, I was able to keep a stampede out of combat for like two turns, you know? So, uh, it's, I don't know. How, how did you find the, uh, the giant bug eater going into it? I didn't, I didn't know that the wind blast was going to be all that, but after my first game, I had to play ogres and, Kept a unit of siege breakers out of the game the whole entire game. So, oh my gosh! So I definitely the bug eater was a win for me. Well, and we should mention too that there was some additional rules, which were depending on your alignment, you got this extra rule. So if you were an evil army, you got the dread special rule on your giants. If you were neutral, you got the rally one special rule, and if you were good, you got the inspiring special rule. Rally one is huge for me, and is that is that the one you had as well? I had Rally One as well. Yes, amazing. Oh yeah, it was really good. And I uh, I took Aura of Heroism, stacking that up to Rally Two. It was great. So what did you end up doing for the Giant model to make this Bug Eater Giant? I used a model that that I I found in my bits drawer. It's like a little bit bigger than a Croxagor. It's it's giant size, but it's it's this large like demon alligator lizard man thing holding a big wooden club and I have been scouring the internet trying to find what company makes this sculpt and I have had no luck but it's a it's a really great lizard man type model and it looked it worked really well with the army yeah it looked awesome I like the purple tones you have uh, on them it's really really cool yeah and on my end I just grabbed a reaper model that I had been laying around for a while it's the reaper giant model that you've seen a hundred times but it was nice to have a reason to reach in that box and pull up this guy and paint him up because I have an event. You know, I've been wanting to have a giant for a while, and this was a great incentive to get him painted up. You know, going into this event, I was looking forward to a really fun time. The drive up there didn't disappoint, did it? <laughs> no, that was uh, that was quite a journey. 
Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like a little over 10 hours, and it ended up taking us, I think, over 12 to get there. They had some flooding in the area, which caused the inability to take some specific freeways that we needed to do to use to get to Omaha. So, um, and had, had you been to Omaha before? That was my first time in Nebraska. That that definitely was my first time in Nebraska. I, I will say I uh, it was a lot hillier than I was expecting for some reason. Yeah. I guess, I, I don't know. I mean, they're not that far from the mountains, are they? No, I couldn't really tell you. I, I don't think they're. I don't think they're too far. Wasn't it Tyler was saying that they were only four or five, six hours? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that he's he's on he's in Colorado in Fort Collins. Him and Garrett. So yeah, it's a good question. I, I don't know. Let's start with your list. Why don't you give us your list and uh, kind of walk through the units and why the different units are there? So starting out, I have Port of Salamanders. This is Forces of Nature, and I slapped the Brewer strength on those dudes. And I have I have two hordes of earth elementals and a greater for the uh, boulder guard. I have a horde of talon riders, or I had I should say. Um, See, so yeah, I had, took a druid, bane chant, surge, two unicorns. Uh, I had them kitted out with aura and heal, uh, shroud of the saint as you do on a healer, and I had a beast of nature. With lightning bolt, fly, and vicious. Is that the basic list you've been running for a while, or is that something new you came up for the event? I've been running salamanders up until now. How'd you like losing? Um, it was it was fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> well, I actually I had a pretty good showing at Shiloh with salamanders. Uh, I remember being proud of them because it was it's been a struggle playing salamanders. But <laughs> what's the forces of nature give you that the salamanders are lacking in? The support. So basically, they do they do lizards better than lizards is is what I've been was the running joke right now. I uh, you know I don't have to take a thirty five point item I think to make my sky raiders good. They they come with bows and they're better in combat to balance out their lower number of attacks. I have the proper amount of heal that a beefy battle line requires. Most things hit on four, um, so you really need you really need that heal. Uh, to back them up. Um, Salamanders had a huge jump when Martyr's Prayer first came out, um, and but they uh, they had to tone that back because uh, two two uh, casters with Martyr's Prayer was kind of crazy. And and also the let's see the fast flanking support is is a little better in uh, Forces of Nature as well. It's just they just uh, it's just kind of like the uh, what's the word I'm looking for um, how. How people, how orc players say salamanders are better orcs. Well, forces of nature are better salamanders. <laughs> Is this the first event you took this army to? I played forces of nature in 2017. I was, I was being that guy. I was taking like a bunch of lightning bolt and shenanigans and stuff, but. But it was after it was after the uh, cover nerf, so it is what it is. But I didn't like doing that because it wasn't balanced. It was a skewed list, so I switched to salamanders. I enjoyed this style list a lot more than than the uh, lightning spam. On my end, I ended up taking ogres because uh, why not? And so I had been playing a lot of chariot lists lately, and for whatever reason, I just I'm not able to get it to work right. I guess I just don't have enough practice, so I fell back on my first love, which is just. Lots of bodies, lots of infantry. So my list is ogres. I have a legion with the fog, which in retrospect uh, was really stupid. It, it never came up a single time in the in the entire tournament. Probably would have been better spent, you know, on Pathfinder. There's probably lots of other things I could have spent it on. The theory was everybody's going to want to shoot this guy because he's the he's the you know this unit's the big big bad unit, and I could just put everybody behind it. But the reality that at this event I didn't see a lot of shooting. And more importantly, a lot of people just ignored the Legion where they could. Yeah, you know, and that's uh, that's kind of one of those things where it's kind of a flip of a coin when you're when you're dedicating a specific strategy to a unit. You know, you you don't know you very well could have seen you know you know thirty five shooting lists, and you you actually had a pretty good chance to go up against. I mean, there was I think there was four or five goblins. I know there was at least four elf lists. There was a couple kin lists, I think. So, so you had, I mean, it's not necessarily you made a bad choice. It's just the matchups just didn't, just didn't pan out for the, uh, for the fog. Uh, then I also had a horde of siege breakers with the brew of haste. Got to have the brew of haste on them because I'm too stupid to remember that it only moves speed five. <laughs> uh, I had two regiments. Yes, that's right. Regiments of boomers, which obviously if you're paying attention, Legion, 
two boomer regiments. That's the veteran formation, which gives them all elite. Um, this is the second time I ran it. Uh, it's okay. Uh, as you'll hear a little bit further, you know, the, the, the stronger players, they can just avoid the Legion. Uh, but, you know, it's a very good mid-table army or a mid-table formation. Uh, then I have a troop of Red Goblin Scouts with the Whip of Celerity, which was really cool. You know, being able to charge that extra inch was pretty awesome. Uh, and then I took the Warlord with the Banner of the Griffin. Now, I normally take Rakamok, but in 1995, it was just really, really difficult to squeeze him in. So I went with the Baby Grok uh, with the Warlord, and I gave him the Banner of the Griffin, which turned out to be pretty awesome because he's 15 17 nerve defense five he's hard to kill <laughs> and so the only time he gets killed is if i uh, almost if i want you to kill him or i'm using him end up using him as chaff unlike when i have an army center bear which is you know only like 11 13 defense four right. those guys die quick so it was kind of nice to have the warlord and have the banner on him and obviously that you know having this was a conscious because i knew the, the giant was going to give me rally one so another rally rally two it's you know, worked out really, really well. Uh, then I had a boomer sergeant with the inspiring talisman. I had a mammoth because if you're an ogre player, you can't in good conscience leave the mammoth at home. You've got to have the mammoth. <laughs> that dash 18 is just too good. And I'm a big fan of not using him in a typical way. I use him as like blocking chaff. So I will absolutely throw a flank to somebody, put that height four right in front of your line of sight and let you charge him in the flank. And, you know, if it's not a big, tough unit, there's a good chance you're not going to make him pop in one turn anyways. And then I had Namagrok. If you're going to take a Warlock, why not take the best one? His spells are just too good, right? I mean, giving giving a unit in Vicious in combat is just too... Oh, it makes me feel so warm and juicy inside. Do you ever get that off on that that elite legion uh yes uh he th- <laughs> yes so typically yeah in a couple of my games i had where I, where the you know so obviously the the legion has elite so i'd cast bane chan on the legion and so that gives them you know 36 attacks with elite and then whatever i hit which is which is almost all of it because i mean you're only missing on twos uh, and, and then and then vicious right so it, it was it's it's ugly it's really, really ugly. Plus, you know, Namagrok really is like got a lot of tools because he's got, he's got yes, he's got the main chain, he's got the heal. But what people don't forget, he's got inspiring. He does have you know firebolt, so he's got a few shots. If you you know if you got nothing better for him to do, shoot some chaff. But uh, and then to round out the list, I've got Grokamok's finest braves. Again, I there's something about these guys that are just amazing. Uh, the dash nineteen. I will say in this in this event, I actually did have someone take him off in one round of combat, but that's my own stupidity. I put him out too far and they got wiped out. But normally it takes a couple rounds. And if I have somebody over by there like Namagrok by him, he can heal him back up. And, you know, it's it's a, a quite sustainable unit. Um, so that's my 1995 list. And obviously, in addition, I had the Rally 1 Bug Eater Giant. You know, in terms of games, what I figured we'd do is we just kind of give the real quick lowdown rather than give the blow by blow, just kind of give the real quick lowdown and we'll kind of just go back and forth. And, and I'll start. My first game was against uh, Russ Barnes who had challenged me. And uh, honestly, I, I didn't listen to the matchup cast, but when I saw his list, I was actually pretty worried because his list is, you know, two regiments of Alohi, five units, there are five troops of sisterhood Panther Lancers, three Panther chariot regiments, a dragon with Rua haste, which ugh, speed 22 dragon, with uh, Iron Resolve and Heal and stuff. Oh, nasty. And then a Phoenix. Honestly, that was a really close game. I, we played Control, I believe, in that first one. And, and it was a regular uh, regular deployment zone. And I should mention, we'll, we'll, we'll hit on some of this, but some of the games had different deployment zones that harken back to some of the stuff we would see in Warhammer Fantasy 8th Edition. I, I'll say this. Russ outplayed me. By turn two, his dragon was behind me, looking to the rear of my legion and uh i was really really scrambling to uh prevent him from crushing me and really the only thing that saved me was the fact that the characters in the ogres are nimble so i was able to really use the the characters to block some you know i I give i'm giving up the characters if you want to charge in but if you charge in and get the character then the legion's going to get you so i kind of it was kind of like here here's something juicy but if you take it i'm going to bite you back and uh, at the end of the day i ended up with one more point uh, in the control scenario than him. And so it was a very, very, very small victory. How, how'd your game one go? So I got to play Bron Brodeur. I heard he's a really good ogre player. He knows what they do and he knows how to use them effectively. He really does. And so, of course, it was a terrible matchup for me uh, because I have a really tough army 
a grindy army. Uh, I'm not going to do a super amount of damage. All of, I don't have a lot of burst damage in my list, but my one thing I don't want to see is a bunch of crushing. And of course, you know, he busts out the warriors and the siege breakers and, um, you know, all, all the things that, that, that you bust out when you're running an ogre list. And, uh, so I, I was, I mean, it was a tight game the whole time. I got a couple surged flanks that opened some things up for me. Being able to keep one of his hordes of siege breakers out of combat the entire game. Um, I think that alone was really what it was what saved me. I had just enough shots to keep hit one of his hordes of boomers uh, from doing anything. Uh, he had one of his hordes of boomers didn't uh, get to fire their breath weapons the whole game. At the end of six, uh, he had won. But on turn seven, I was able to, to knock out a couple of his BSBs and fly to another uh, control point. So I ended up taking that game by one. Control and dominate are probably the two best uh, scenarios for for four my ogre builds when they're when they're lots of infantry. But what a great first round! Oh, it was awesome. So in the second round, we played loot and we used a old favorite Warhammer Eighth Edition deployment zone. Those that played meeting engagement would remember that. I, I really had a great time. I got to play a new player I had never met before. Uh, his name is Michael Sigler. He's out of Kansas City. Uh, Kansas, not to be confused with Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, but yeah, Michael was playing a really tough herd list. And it really scared the bejesus out of me because it had, you know, I, I won't go through the whole list, but it had, it had the Chimeras and whatnot in the Stampede. But it had two hordes of Spirit Walkers. And I, I know you're a big fan of those guys. Yeah, that Fearless 23, 40 attacks on fours, Thunder 1, Pathfinder, it's, it's a good unit exactly i think the only thing that saved me in that game was he didn't have enough beast packs uh well that and so i was able to kind of ch- i played the chaff game with the little i had with the two boomers and the uh the, the troop of scouts and i was able to set up the the shots where i wanted to hit and also my giant was able to keep the stampede far away <laughs> uh, until <laughs> it was basically at that point the game was already over by the time because he had put his uh his stampede he had one stampede and he had put it kind of far off to the right. And so I was able to kind of keep it out there until like turn five. So it was a great game though. You know, I, I, I won the, the scenario, but really, um, I mean, it was so close in points. I mean, we both didn't have much left by the time we were done. So awesome, awesome game. I, I love playing new players. Who'd you play in second round? I played a local guy, um, Billy, his last name's escaping me. Hen- Henninger? Yeah, B- Billy Henninger. He plays uh, Twilight Kin, and he actually, w- I know he was at this year's Master, so he's quite a good player. No, it was a it was a good list. It was a tough list, and he was running he was running the Blade Dancer formation and a couple hordes of Kin chariots. And in all reality, it was the Blade Dancers gave me more trouble than the chariots did because uh, even hitting on fours, I'm kind of my list is kind of prepared for. Uh, for shooting and with only with only two shooting units i, I kind of had the tools i needed to mitigate that but he you know he had the gargoyles uh, or one troop and he had the dragon with brew of haste i had a lot of things that that went in my favor he had he had a flank that just folded on him and i came swinging around uh, that diagonal deployment helped me because i didn't have as it seemed like i didn't have as far to go to get you know, to, to, to get to the center of the board. But I just took one turn too long to pay attention to those objective points. And uh, he ended up getting me by one on objective. My game three, you know, the old story about Icarus, right? Flying too close to the sun. Uh, I, I was I was 2-0 and oh, and I was like, oh, you know what that means? I'm going to get something, something really filthy. I did. <laughs> I got Chris Kapsner. <laughs> so so uh, this was an invade scenario, but what was really interesting was that they actually had us playing in the, in the in the other direction or long ways on the table. We were still the same distance apart, but we were playing obviously with only four feet across as opposed to the normal six. That didn't help. I, I think even if the table was still rotated, Chris still tables me to the man. He just has to all the tools. You know, I, I don't like playing hurt, honestly, uh, especially that that build, because it's just it, it does everything better than me, right? It's got more chaff. It hits harder. It's got more speed. It's just, you know, and his list is crazy good, right? It's got the uh, the double chimera. The I guess it's double of everything, right? It just was rough. And so basically I just lined up in the middle and I just took it like a man because honestly, there's nothing I can do. So my, my choices were start on the back table edge and get tabled by turn five, but lose the scenario. Or I can start a little closer, you know, get tabled by turn 
three or four. Because I mean, I, there's no way I can really. I don't have enough chaff in that in that army that's fast enough to really mitigate the beast packs. The beast packs. I, I still think I still stand by. I think they're the best chaff unit in the game. Oh yeah, points wise and profile points to profile. That is the the best chaff unit in the game. But I will say, Keith Randall, he didn't blizzard me off the table. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, and at insult to injury, he tried to blizzard off my one chaff unit. <laughs> but he wasn't unable to do it. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, big loss to me, which is fine. I knew it was coming. It turned out on day one, I just uh, was, it was, it just wasn't my, it wasn't a, a day for games for me. I drew the prestigious... The well, he may be infamous, Mark Cox. Oh um, man, and great guy. You gotta, you gotta love Mark Cox. And uh, so he was playing Ratkin, and of course we had the uh, the sideways deployment on Invade. And when I walked <laughs> when I walked up to the table, I was like, oh yeah, Invade, Invade is uh, it, it was uh, was handmade for my army. And um, so, and then we <laughs> after we deployed and everything. We actually deployed wrong. We deployed normally. Then we got to look and realized that we had to turn the table around. And then I was like, oh, man. Just swip, just swapping the table sides completely changed from it being a good uh, objective in my favor to just being an absolute, an absolute nightmare. Because you have all that speed and you can get around them. But if now you only – if you have two feet less to work with, it's right. harder. So I had – I had more faster units. Um, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, flying woodland critters. I had uh, a unit of centaurs. I had the talon riders. You know, I had things I could use to get around, but there's not a lot of room when you when you only have a four-foot-wide uh, battlefield. So I had to rely on my infantry, which his infantry is faster than my infantry. So he was able to hit that middle line before I was. And then at that point, I was just I was just stuck on my side of the table couldn't get a dice roll to go in my favor. I mean, it was just, he just, he did exactly what he needed to do to win the game. And he just rolled over me. We'll finish out the games and then we'll come back and talk about Saturday night. Cause that was awesome. Game four, Sunday morning, we rock up and we're playing the old, uh, I forget the, the deployment zone, but basically you're, you're, you can, you can be charging on turn one. If you're moving six, right? You're, you're, you're actually lined up six inches off the line. Uh, and so at that point I was only two and one. I was like, you know what? I'm going to have some fun. So I gambled. I literally lined everything up on the 12-inch line. Yeah, I was playing a Night Stalker player out of Iowa called Jonathan Neeson. His list was actually pretty good. It was two troops of phantoms, two hordes of butchers, one with the healing brew, two hordes of fiends, two shadow hawks, a planner apparition with weakness, a horror with bane chant two, uh, two dread fiends, and a you know, and he had the butcher's block formation, which turned out to be pretty darn good. So long story short, we kind of just lined up and we both agreed, you know what? This was going to be a gamble. Whoever won that first turn to go was probably going to win the game. Uh, I rolled a one and he rolled the two. <laughs> <laughs> and so he got the first turn and first turn like deleted Grokamok's finest and two or three other units. And so, you know, I was pretty much tabled by turn four. Had a great time. And in fact, it really made me learn to appreciate the Night Stalkers. They hit a lot harder than people than people might think. We were talking about this on the way back, but, you know, those uh, Shadowhawks, in many ways, uh, I, I think they're they're better giants, right? I mean, they're giants, what, 190? Shadowhawks, 170? You, you get nine attacks, which potentially could be less, but you hit on threes, and you're a dash 20. Yeah, I think that Pippa Nerve... And being fearless um, really sets it over the edge, yeah. Yeah, huge, huge. And they and they just smash. And also consider he also had a giant. So he had lots of just nasty stuff come flying in there and just crushing me. So uh, really great game. I think he ended up finishing like second for, for best general. I mean, he, he scored a ton, a ton of points. Yeah, he scored 70 battle points. It's up there. At that point, I was two and two. I was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to have the greatest fifth game ever. And uh, but let's before we get to that, let's get to your game four. So I got to play Russ as well. What a fast you know, army! Oh, so, it's so fast. I think the slowest thing was speed nine, something like that. And so I did the same thing. I had so I I I didn't have the options, you know. So you know, all my my ninety percent of my army is speed five. So I just put everything six inches away from the objective, and I let I let him make all the choices. So he deployed back because um, he didn't want to. He didn't want to grind out with defense five and six uh, until he could get 
his some of his uh, uh, smaller, faster units behind me, which I thought was a good decision. But because of the scenario that allowed me to get up and sit on those objectives and start getting those uh, generating those counters, um, and so I, you know, he he enveloped me. He surrounded me. Um, his his dragon was behind me. All literally, all I could do was so I had I had to throw away my unicorns on turn three, so I lost um, I lost my healing ability before half the game was even over um, because I had to you know I had to spin them around and try to try to strip the flying off the dragon, but you know a little character like that's not going to hold a dragon for more than a turn. So all I could really do was give him choices on what to charge. So you know I turned some things to him, you know let him make his choices. And all I could do was just try to hold. So he couldn't get, he just couldn't get unit strength to the objectives. Um, I had hordes, he had regiments. Um, so I was just, I was just pulling off those loot counters and keeping him from right. pulling loot counters. We, sh- we should mention we played scavenge, right? That one was scavenge. So that's yeah, the, that one was scavenge. Yeah. So that's the one where you go to the token and you, yeah. So, yeah. So how did you end up? Yeah. So, um, it, I, I ended up winning that game. He, he had the tools to handle me. Um, he, he just, he just couldn't squeeze into those and get those objectives. Um, so it was a strong objective game. I believe I took 18 points on that one. Well, I'm sitting two and two going into game five. I just, I just told, uh, Travis, Travis, I want you to give me the best game that I've had at a tournament in 40 years. No, but I said, just give me, give me somebody who's going to give me a heck of a game. And he did not disappoint. Uh, obviously the last event we just played dominate, which I've already said it. I like dominate. Uh, I, I know it's probably not the most fair uh, scenario for lots of armies, but I just, you know, I really enjoy Dominate with the Ogres. So I rock up in game five, and I'm super happy to finally play Hobie Roop, who is out of Lincoln, Nebraska, and we're playing the Dominate scenario, which I already said I love, and he's playing Infantry Orcs. So Infantry Ogres, Infantry Orcs, there's going to be a lot of bloodshed. So uh, what was cool, though, it was a different build that I hadn't seen before. So... Um, He's got the brew of strength on a horde of uh, a horde of axe, which okay, that's that may be normal. He had chant to hate on a horde of great axe, three troops of skulks. He had a crudger on ancient wing slasher with blood boil, quicksilver rapier, which didn't really help him in this one, and then a goblin sneaky attack, which is plus one attack. Uh, then he had a colossal giant, two war drums, but then he had grum tongue, which. Man, that really is a really cool model, man. It gives plus one speed to uh, when they're charging. So, in other words, plus two, right, when they're charging to their charge distance. I mean, that was really awesome. And then he also had, uh, well, he had the Skulk Stalker's formation. He had a Crusher uh, just on foot with Inspiring Talisman. And then he had a Long Axe Horde with Brewish Sharpness. So, basically, I, I think... This is just a case of uh, he didn't have the right tools to to, to, to to really meet up with me because I had enough chaff. So I used the boomers. Um, like all the way we were talking away on the way up there, you know, I said, well, you know, one thing I could do with the with the boomers is keep them behind the legion and then just march them through the legion up front and let them sit there, you know, and take take whatever. And then the legion can kind of pick up whatever hits the boomers. And so I was able to do that. Um, he kind of moved out the his uh, ancient wing slasher a little too far and uh, the boomer sergeant went out and, and basically clipped his wings and long story short I was able to get him with the uh, with the, with the Grokamok's finest um, on the left flank things went a little really really bad for him in terms of dice um, both positive dice for me and negative dice for him I mean I was able to score five wounds on his giant pretty early on from wind blast which is stupid because he's defense five right and I, it's only wind blast eight so to get five wounds is, is kind of crazy. Uh, and then I was able to get the mammoth in a forest. And then he had uh, the horde of axe with the brew of strength uh, sitting over there. And they charged the mammoth. And he only did, because they were hindered, he only did two wounds. So I didn't charge him again. I just let him charge me again. I never charged him back because I didn't want to give him an unhindered charge. And he did three wounds the second round. And then like eight rooms the third round. I heal. Namagrok's awesome. Heals for five. So, like, basically, the Mammoth never dies uh, until, like, turn five. And by that time, the rest of my army, because all I have on the left flank is the Giant and the Mammoth, and the rest of my army cleaned, cleaned everything off uh, in the center and to the right of the table. So, uh, it was a great game, though. It was super bloody. At the end, looking back on it, though, I think it was just he probably hadn't seen uh, ogres played like that where I'm willing to throw away like I, at one point I had a, a wavered warlord with a griffin banner which is you know 
what, 200, 195 points? It's expensive. He's wavered. So I take his one pivot for Nimble, I back him up, and I literally use him to just block up a unit. And I think he, it kind of caught him off guard a little bit that I was I was willing to throw everything away <laughs> to beat him. And uh, But it was a great game. And I, I really I am a little nervous because I know the next time I play him, his dice can't possibly be that bad. <laughs> and I think, you know, it swings and roundabouts. I think dice will turn around and he'll end up crushing me. But how would your game five go? So I played another another local guy. His name was uh, Stephen, I believe. Steve Hudson? Yeah, yeah. He had a horrible game. Like, I was apologizing the whole, the whole time. Right. Well, sometimes you can't do anything about it. Dice or dice. Yeah, and it was it was dice. It, um, and I, I think at, at one point, he, he double-charged my Horde of Salamanders. It was... Uh, siege breakers that was unhindered and warriors that were hindered and he did more hits and wounds with the warriors like it was it was just below average for him the whole entire time mm. um so i don't i don't really know if uh i earned that one i i got to the middle we we made the decisions that we needed to make you know he he swung some boomers around using that a uh, little pip of speed he he swung around and was was in my flanks, um, but I mean I was I was able to to block off three units with with one unit because he was just getting bad rolls, um, and I was able to sit in the center and it's it is it is what it is. So I, I ended up taking that one, uh, and I think I got another 18, 17 or eighteen off of that one. So <laughs> I had a horrible first day. I went one and two, but I went two and zero the second day. But everybody I played, I had never played before, and uh, had a, I had a great time. It was awesome. I ended up uh, two wins. Oh, no, I ended up with three wins and two losses uh, on the weekend. So I'm always happy if I win more than I lose. I mean, I'm, I'm always happy with it. Oh, that. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, let's talk about the venue because we didn't really discuss the venue at all. But um, I, I don't know. This was maybe one of the coolest and best venues around. What, what were your thoughts on the venue? Oh, that venue was dope. Like, so... So it's in, it's in, that was their high school, their high school gymnasium. Mm-hmm. And they just, there's just so much room in there that, so, so the main gymnasium had the, the AOS and the 40 K and I think a couple other systems like Malifaux and, and they had space to set up the, uh, paint exhibit for judging the paint contest. And then we the room we were in was the practice gym that was attached to the main gymnasium and so we had our 36 players and then there was there was bolt action and uh they had two or three systems in that room too and room for growth oh and like the space between the tables was amazing i mean there was probably like 20 feet between tables oh yeah i mean really yeah we could, it was awesome they, they could get they could get 50 players for kings of war next year and still have elbow room like between every table, like it was it was awesome. And I was also surprised by, I mean, maybe we just got lucky with the weather, but it was great in that room. I mean, like it wasn't too hot, it wasn't too cold. It was it was literally just perfect. Yeah, and and part of that could be attributed to the space, right? So there, yeah, there was a lot of airflow. We we're not cramped up in a in, you know in a in a tiny, well, I say tiny, a smaller conference room in a hotel or anything, which is the normal venue that I see. You know all that all that body heat that's coming out is just, is going other places and it's you know we're not suffocating each other. I really enjoyed the venue and like they had you know uh, catered food because for those who don't know, Bug Eater is a fundraiser for the debate club and the drama club at this high school, and so they cater in uh, different fast food and chips and drinks and stuff like that, and they have a cart being pushed around. I mean, you had t- table service, right? I mean, would you like something to drink? And it was cheap, and it was awesome. And uh, they had a couple of vendors there that were selling different things, and so it was just it was just a great a great atmosphere for a con- you know it was sort of a small convention, but it was a great atmosphere for a Kings War tournament. Oh, it, it's probably it, it was probably my favorite my favorite tournament thus far, based solely on the venue. Like it, it just every everything was right. They did everything right as far as the venue goes. Well, and let's talk about what else they did right. Saturday night. Was amazing. <laughs> yeah, they so so we 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 had a good old get together, uh, grilled up. They grilled up some some burgers, some hot dogs, and we just all just sat around, had dinner, uh, drank a few beer, and you know just uh, shooting the bull with everybody, talking to people I'd never met before, 
Uh, it was, I mean, it was just a, it was a great time. Yeah. It was awesome to get to chat to people, uh, that I had never met before. I mean, I had met a lot of the, uh, the Minnesota guys, but like we got to meet Ted and Richard from, from Minnesota. Never met him before. Super nice guys. We got to meet Brian Bruder's son drew pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> Too well, some might say. But it was just like so much fun and the hospitality was flowing. I mean, it's really close to the venue. He had this little get together at Billy's house, which is, you know, a five minute drive from the venue. And uh, so awesome. And we, I, let me just say, I really appreciate everybody that was part of this event that really made that so welcoming to everybody because it was a really great gathering and a great way to, you know, meet these players that, you know, at this event, I probably only knew less than 10 of them. You know, going in and, 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 you know, I really got to talk to a lot of different folks I hadn't met before. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that 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 was probably that was probably the best part of the whole thing that get together there. You know, it really it really uh, highlights the overall atmosphere and attitude of the overall community that people are willing to open up their homes like that. And it's just it just creates it just adds to the experience. Like if you want if you want someone to go to to be a regular Kings of War player, take them to Bug Eater or 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 like Lady of the Lake for their first event, and they they will become a Kings of War player. I promise. Well, now that the event's done and dusted, let's talk a little bit about how we finished. We finished what seventh and eighth, I think, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Glad you finished one below me because I would have been a long car ride home. If you, finished, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of got you know, I you know, I, there's expectations on me, right? Come yeah. on, I can't let you finish ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, nah, uh, it was it was it was great. I uh, so I, I went into I went into it, you know, like I uh, the, so my goal this year is is top ten. Uh, when I go to an event, whether whether there's 20 players or 56 players, I'm shooting for top 10. And then anything I can do beyond that is just icing on the cake. I got two places past my goal, so I'm good there. This event was a little unusual because it's kind of a hobby tournament in that battle, paint, and sports all counted 130 your overall score. So that actually kind of gave me a little bit of a boost, obviously. I'm really appreciative of the community that we have, that we have all kinds of different tournaments, whether it's like Bug Eater where you have heavy on the soft scores or events where you may have cap scoring where sports and paint really are not going to be much of a deciding factor. They're all going to be you know huddled around the same. Most people are going to hit the cap. And then overall is really just decided by battle. But uh, I really like the, the different variety of events that we've got going. Um, what do you think of the scoring? I, I liked it. I never, I don't really have a a strong critique. I've never TO'd an event. I don't know the first thing about it. I imagine that it's pretty brain racking to begin with. So I, 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 I liked it. Uh, I, I understand where you know there could be some frustrations. You know, we we did see the uh, the you know the the number one thing you know players use to support the. Uh, the anti-hobby aspect is the, you know, the guy that goes five and zero and doesn't win the tournament, and we we witnessed that, you know, that weekend. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it could be. Um, maybe I don't know if it's usually a part of the players' pack, but you know, maybe a T- TOs may just be a little um, a little more transparent on that and just say in the players' pack. This is a hobby focused tournament, or yeah, you know, or or this is a battle focused tournament, uh, or you know, battle sports and paint are all equal parts of this tournament. You know, just just something like that. That way, you know, a hundred percent going into it. I, I think you bring up a really good point, which is you know, players that that are thinking about going to events. It's super important that you look at the player pack, and because it's all there up front now. What you said was a good point. Yes, you could have, and, and I was able to, 100 points for paint, 100 points for sports, 100 points for battle. It was in the player yeah. pack. You knew, you knew. But, you know, if somebody would just say, hey, this is a hobby tournament, and like, just say that, just say that, then you then that puts you in the expectation uh, of what you, you know, because some people probably didn't look at the pack, and they didn't know going in that, you know, a 30-year score was going to be paint. Yeah. Right? You know, I did have some feedback for Adam, though. You know, one one is, you know, the deployments, the, the wonky deployments, I think they did a good job of matching them to the scenario, but they got to continue to be careful because I think those wonky deployments can really affect the uh, 
the competitiveness of a matchup. Yeah, and the more the more I thought about it, you know, there's already there's already scenarios and units and stuff that are that are going to create an imbalanced effect depending on what two armies are facing off. And, and and that's just, that's just the nature of the beast. You know, that, you know, that rock, paper, scissor, like if, you know, if I go up against this army, they have an advantage uh, over my army. And that, that's just, that's just inherent in, in gaming in general. Now Kings of War is super balanced and the army with the disadvantage can win. I mean, a great example would have been, you know, Chris Kapsner's first game. Uh, at Bug Eater, he played a, a you know a chariot shooting spam army and won. You know the army with a disadvantage isn't necessarily at an auto loss in Kings of War, but I felt like a couple of those deployments might have embellished on those disadvantages a little bit, and that may be a bias because I took the hard end of that stick or the short end of that stick, I should say. I think it, I think it was all right. I mean, may, maybe a couple tweaks here and there. The alternate deployments are definitely fun. It's different. It it, it gives characters to the event. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, You know, keeps things fresh. I don't see anything wrong with it. I also, uh, you know, would suggest, you know, I thought the terrain, the size and the shape of the terrain was pretty good. It was very playable. They did a good job of blocking lines of sight. But obviously, you can always improve on the quality of the terrain, right? That's that's no no tournament's ever going to have perfect terrain but I, I really did like the way they had the terrain laid out the size of the forest and that kind of thing um i did mention to adam that you know you probably don't need to have a third a third a third you probably could go by you know like we do at blue city you could probably do a 50% uh, or 54% battle and uh, whatever that is and the other two the other 46% divided by two what is that 23% yeah. paint and 23% sport i think that's enough to still give enough of a nod to sports you know, to do what you're trying to do, which which I think which I think they succeeded in. There was a pretty good collection of pretty armies in that room. Yeah, there was there was definitely a lot of good looking armies in that room. Uh, that was that was not a it was not an easy room to compete against. Even at a you know, even at a normal you know where you'd see, I think most of the time I see 50, 25, 25 on uh, on the point yeah, spread. That's pretty. Pretty that's common. um you know even in a at normal scoring you know that's that was a hard room that was a rough room to play to play at and then I also mentioned to Adam you know obviously get make sure you have the painting rubric out in advance you know I think um uh, that's that more than anything will allow people to know what the expectation is for the level of paint what are they looking for is it more of a paint score a la you know Alamo or is it more of a hobby score where they're taking into a Count basing and conversions and display boards, so it's helpful for players to have as much information up front as possible when making decisions about you know what tournaments they're going to go to. Yeah, I mean, and that's and that's another thing to keep in mind. You know, if you go to an event and you do well, but you don't place where you you thought you would have, just take another quick look at, at your hobbying. You know, can can you can you redo a unit to add a conversion in there? Is there any? models that you can go back and take 20 or 30 minutes and add some highlights can you add a little bit of depth to your to your basing you know there's a lot a lot of simple things quick easy things that you can do to an entire army in just a couple nights that will that will check several extra boxes for you i think just in life you want to continually grow Absolutely. right whether it's painting or your, your your ability to play on the table um so after, after every event, I always kind of take a reflective uh, look at the event, how it went, and what can I do better, you know? And so, obviously, that's something we something we should all do. That's definitely it's definitely what I I do it after every event. Like I I I have to talk myself out of buying entire new armies after pretty much every. <laughs> I will mention. Remember when you started playing? I used to bust your balls about paint all the time. I wish I still had pictures. I would share. I would share pictures on on the counter charge page. If I had pictures of those, they were. Well, you would you burn? Did you burn the army? Oh, I, I no, <laughs> I, I traded it all to Andrew. <laughs> Mr. Andrew Atkins out of uh, Arkansas doesn't care about no. paint. So, no. but you've come a long way in a few years. I mean, from where you started to where you are now, and knowing where you're planning to go, it's been fun to see your progression in terms of the hobby. I mean, you've got some, you know, you you've really built your hobby chops up quite a bit. Yeah, and that's and 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 going into it, you know, so I was. You know, I started out. I had the the I was playing salamanders with red primer and black wash, and that was it. <laughs> and so, um, 
and then I, after I started doing doing well, not necessarily at events, but you know, playing against uh, my clubmates that had been playing for a long time. After I started doing better and winning games, I decided that well, I want to improve my my paint so that it doesn't hold me back when I invest into events. And so I I went into it from a total like monetary point of view like i want to get the most out of this hobby uh, and i don't want to spend money you know sometimes it's hundreds of dollars to go to an event and and then you know do poor because my paint sucks i just started practicing i would i got tips i would go to an event and i would ask a, di- a guy you know how he did this or you know and i learned a lot i learned a lot from john corbett out of arkansas I learned a lot from you guys there in Memphis. It's always a pleasure talking to Billy about about paint. I've just improved what I was able to improve, and here I am. It's fun, though, because I think you take it the way I take it, which is this is a hobby, right? It's it's all-inclusive. It's about um, getting better at playing the game. It's better about better and building better and better armies. And also, you know, there's a sportsmanship piece. I want to make sure that I'm giving or affording the best possible game to my opponent. It's just, you know, it's like a three-legged stool. And if you if it's if you focus on one, it's to the detriment of others. You know, like I kind of touched on before, it's a it's just a huge balancing act. And sometimes it's not easy. You have to look at the grand scheme of things of the for the overall game. Inherently, we're all selfish, right, to some degree. But if you think about it from the standpoint of the game, it's about growing the hobby for everybody and not everybody, you know, uh, not everybody wants to paint. Not everybody wants to be good gamers. So it's nice to have various aspects covered so that you can recruit and bring in people. And I've said this before, if you just wanted to just do battle, if you just want to do battle, then just do battle. But realistically, Magic the Gathering and X-Wing do it a lot better than we can do. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we're a different game and I, and I think, you know, and, and our tournaments reflect that. Now, that being said, Hey, I'm going to Forge GT in November. I'm going to do crappy because, you know, my, my, I'm usually like a, around 500 on the table. And that's an event where you have cap soft scores. No problem. That's an event where I will do a lot of reflecting after the fact. How can I improve on the table? Uh, I, I love, I love all the different kinds of tournaments we have. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm right. And no matter what Bug Eater does next year, I'm going. And I'm going to bring Billy with me. And I'm probably not going to bring Devlin, <laughs> but I'm going to bring you, Dylan. Oh, yeah. I'm, it's definitely. Um, it's definitely a 100% in my list next year. In terms of, in terms of events, it was, I mean, it wasn't expensive to get into. And, uh, now that we know we can stay at Bill's house and, and Billy's house, it could be, it could be even cheaper next year. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> me too. Me too. Well, what, what is your kind of your final thoughts on, uh, Bug Eater GT? Oh, I mean, a great event. I recommend it to anyone thinking about going to an event in that region, in that area. Um, definitely check it out. Like I said, if you got, um, if you got a new player and you're thinking about going to an event around that time of year, make that their first event and they will be hooked. It was, it just, it made the game, the, the things that happened in relation to the event made the game feel so much better. And it was, it was just a great time. I think my final thoughts are obviously whatever they're doing is working because they have grown you know, 30 plus percent year over year to now we're 36. So where do they end up next year? 50? I hope. 55? I don't know. It's a great event and it's going to attract a lot of people. It's a fun event. That's the best way I can say. It's a fun event. It's a great event. Well, what you got planned for the rest of the year? You've got some other events on the docket, right? Yeah. So I'm trying to line things out for Border Wars and I'm going to, I'm going to shoot for Axe Grinder at, at ATC, I think. And then I'm already signed up for TNT and Living Legends. You've got some of those really great events. Living Legends is another one where it's a really fun hobby tournament. Border Wars is interesting because I'm, I'm going to be interested to hear how uh, you like that because that that's more of like what we talked about. What are those more battle-focused events? I can't wait to hear your report from that event. Yeah, I'm I, I'm excited about it. I'm uh, I hope it's a good event. Well, awesome. Do you want to take us out? Sure. I'll uh, I'll see you guys around. And remember, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on. Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, 
If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Board Game Cave Echo Echo. My name is Aubrey. Board Game Cave. Don't even try. My name is Aubrey, and this is my dad, Rob. Hey, we're back. We haven't had a board game cave in a while. It's been forever. Well, we've been busy doing other stuff. We've been setting up paint stations and painting models and playing games. Yeah. And, but we did pick up a new board game lately. Santorini. Santorini, based on the island, one of the islands, I guess, in the Aegean Sea. It's, uh, you know, around Greece. Mm-hmm. White buildings with blue uh, domes. And, yeah, and the, the whole purpose of the game is basically to build and tall buildings. And if you buildings. get to the third floor, <clears throat> you win. Right. So the game is like a, a kind of a... a I guess I would describe it as a light worker placement game where you're using your workers yeah. to build buildings, but also to block. So it's got a little bit of a puzzle Basically, element. Basically, what you do is you take these little worker dudes and... And girls and dudettes. Yeah, there's just there's a dude. characters. <clears throat> well, there's only two. So don't make it sound like there's a whole army. You only have two workers, right? Yeah, there's um, two workers <clears throat> of each color, um, a boy and a girl, so there's six figures in total. And we should say it's for players two to four, yes. ages eight and up, um, Also, and there, it's got dope, really dope plastic pieces. Yeah, also there is a more like advanced version with like... Cards. Cards, but we didn't play that. We played the original version since... We should probably play the advanced version and see if we like eventually. it. Eventually. Eventually. But you stopped playing this game recently because I was kicking your tail so much. Yes. So the game is a worker placement game where you move your workers around a uh, five by five gridded board, and you it's like build a little island. Right, it literally is an island, and you build uh, buildings upward. And when you um, basically how it works is you have three different <clears throat> floors. Um, you have the bottom floor, the second floor, or and the third floor, and then you have a little dome top for it. So basically, you have to like climb around buildings. You can go around you can go right. onto any of the eight spaces around you right. and basically you have to try to stand on top of the third floor but you can block uh, the other players by putting going up to it and putting a dome top on it right so, so, so the purpose of the game is to build buildings but you're trying to block the yeah, other players and like you can build or move in any not the eight spaces around you right so but what you're trying to do though is you're trying to reach the top floor right but also reach the top floor or stop your opponent from being able to build because you've built yes, buildings you trap their workers basically and also you cannot go <clears throat> up two stories you can only go one right yes and you can jump all the way down we're probably we're probably overcomplicating the rules but it's a simple game yeah. we learn it in like three minutes yes and we still don't and you kicked my tail in three minutes oh pff. well you won the first game if i remember correctly yeah. and then you haven't won since dun, dun, dun. but what i do like about this game is it is easy to learn and the pieces are really cool. It's, you build like this little plastic island with a cardboard topper. Yes. And on top of that, you actually have the plastic buildings. Topper, we did have a little trouble getting it on, but that's probably just because... We hadn't done it before. No. Maybe, I don't know. Or maybe you just didn't know what you're doing. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I, I, like the, I like the components of the game. Yeah. They're very tactile. You can really feel them. They look cool. Moving, you know, you look like you're really building a little city. Yeah, it's on so an island. Cool. And the and I like how the each floor has like simple details, like little windows, little stairs, doors. It's not like, it's not like every little like brick or. It just whatever. got basic details that yeah. you know what you're looking at when you're done. It's also, a building. I love it because it doesn't have stickers, and stickers peel off. Right. Well, you you, you refer to like games like barbecue party or pop that the pit. That just have plastic pieces. And then you have to stick stickers on them, and then they peel off. And yeah, yeah none of that in this game. This is this is world class. Well, this game, this game is from Spin Master. It's been out since 2016, so it's been out a while. I know some other podcasts Oof. have talked about it, but I like it. It's fun. It's, I don't know, twenty between $20 and $30. It wasn't super expensive. Uh-uh. Fun game, though, right? And each game goes... And it even says, learn it, in 30, learn it in 30 seconds, play it for life. Well, you haven't been playing it for life since you lost. <sighs> well, anyways, the box says it's a simple 
It's simple for kids, deep for gamers. Like, 30 God Power Cards change how you play for a different experience every game and detailed 3D island platform do, buildings and workers. We will learn how to play with the God Cards, and if we do, we might just um, like do a podcast about it with the God Cards. Yeah. Like, so what did you what did you enjoy about when we were playing it? I mean, obviously we talked about the components and stuff, but what was fun about um, the, the game? I liked um, how you could not only win, but you could also... Uh, I liked how there was sort of... Like two different ways to win. Right, multiple strategies for winning. You can either yeah. try to build the tall building, or, or you can try or block player. your opponents. Yeah, and so what was really neat though, there's that cutthroat part of it, right, where you're trying to like, yeah, you're trying to. I'm stopping you from building your buildings. Yeah, and so like you might like have putting your, a dome on it. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I blocked you. Yeah, just, it's fun. All right. Well, what's your final thoughts on Santorini? Two thumbs up. I definitely have two thumbs yeah. up for it as well. It's one of the better games we've purchased lately. It's so simple and it looks so nice. Like even the box looks nice. It's got like these. Columns. It's high quality components. High quality. Yeah. yeah. Maybe out of all of our stuff, it might be one of the best quality yeah. games we've got. The box looks so nice too. Well, the white and the blue, right? The classic yeah. Greek color. It it definitely pops. Yeah, that makes like. Yeah. Well, we'll have to go try the. Uh, God cards, and we will come back and uh, give you a quick update. Yep. You can sign us off. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. You're not funny. Oh, let the door hit you in the butt or something like that. Be like a tree and leave. (laughs) See you later, alligator. That joke was so good. I'm in there like swimwear. (laughs) <laughs> That's what my friend Dylan taught me this week. Isn't that a good one? Those jokes were so cringy. They were funny. <laughs> yeah. I'm hilarious. All right. Well, we're going to sign us off. Bye. It's funny when I do it. Okay. <laughs>